0: Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service.
1: The reading tonight is from Genesis chapter 12, as we start our new series. Genesis 12. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram required sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had.
0: Evening, everyone. As you've heard, we're starting a new series in Genesis, and I would love for everyone to have one of these booklets in hand, unless you're a conscientious objector for reasons unknown to me. So if you don't have one right now, if you put up your hand, uh, Emma or Murray will be able to get one to you nice and quick. Uh, I don't have slides tonight because I want you to just be reading, using the booklet, getting to use it. If you haven't seen these booklets before, uh, they've got the sermon passages in them, space for you to make notes. Bible study questions for Bible study groups during the week, and even uh, four devotionals a week, four personal Bible readings to do a week, that if you follow this, you'll read the rest of Genesis in this term. Long book, but you can do it if you stick to the plan. I believe in you. Uh, my name is Chris, by the way. Uh, I'd love to meet you after the service if I haven't met you. I see a few unfamiliar faces. It'd be great to meet you later. And My wife Emily was away for work all of last week, And then last weekend, I was away on our young adult's annual retreat. And so there was a good solid seven days where we didn't see each other. But this week, uh, a few evenings ago, uh, we were all seated seated around our dinner table. And our youngest, Shepard, who's three now, uh, he kept flapping his arms. And it it looks really strange to people that don't know what's going on. It's essentially just how he shows he's happy or excited. It's like a puppy just wagging its tail. He just does this. Uh, His older brother still kind of does it as well, but I don't like to draw attention to that. Uh, (laughs) LAUGHTER And at first, I just thought, oh, he's really into burgers. Like, who wouldn't be? This is great. Let's get pumped, right? But then he started pointing at each person that was seated at the table. And then he pointed at himself. And with a big smile, he said, it's our whole family. I know. (laughs) Crazy wholesome. It was like this beautiful moment. And now you get to share it with me. It was a really special moment for me. Just that evening... Maybe not other evenings, trust me, but that particular evening, he was just really excited to be sitting down and eating with his whole family. About a hundred years ago, a guy named Howard Guinness wrote that to be part of a truly Christian home is the closest thing to heaven many of us will experience this side of the grave. And I love that. I mean, family can be so good, right? But not always. As high as the highs for family life can be, the lows can just be just astonishingly low. I think an underrated rite of passage that a lot of young adults go through is that moment where they start to look back at their family that they grew up in and start to notice all the ways that their family is uniquely messed up. But for some people, it's deeper still. For some people, the deepest hurts they will experience in life happen because of Family. As good as family can be, just like everything else in this world, it's impacted by sin. Our self-centered hearts that damage our relationship with God damage our relationships with others too, even those closest to us. Maybe especially those closest to us. And The book of Genesis starts with this massive scope. It starts by talking about the creation of the world, who created the world, what's amazing about the world, what's wrong with the world. But from chapter 12, it zooms in, zooms in, zooms right in onto this single family. And then over 39 chapters, we see how this family repeatedly hurt each other across generations. Sin is fully on display in all its horror. But as effective as these chapters are at showing us what sin looks like, that's not why Genesis was written. Genesis wasn't just written to show us how sin wrecks a family. Genesis was written to start telling us how God is going to solve the problem of sin for all humanity, once for all. And His plan, God's plan to save the world, to release people from sin, to set us free from ourselves, that plan is going to be achieved through this profoundly messed up family. So here we go. This is Genesis 12 to 50. This is the messed up family of God. Let's pray as we begin. God, we so very badly need your help. We need your guidance and your blessing in all our relationships. And we pray that you'd please be at work tonight, teaching us what it means to put our trust in Jesus and to follow him and experience the blessing that comes in his wake. Amen. We begin in a town named Haran, in what will one day be northern Iraq. But it's not northern Iraq yet, we're way back in the Middle Bronze Age, maybe as much as 4,000 years ago. And God chooses to speak to a man named Abram. Actually, he he chooses to do a lot more than just speak to Abram. He just flat out chooses Abram. This is the guy. His is the family that God is going to use for his grand plan. From verse 1, it's in your booklets. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God tells Abram to leave his country, leave his people, even leave his father's household. We learn right at the end of chapter 11 that Abram's father is actually still alive right now, which means that if Abram leaves, he forfeits the inheritance he should get when his father dies. But God has promised Abram something better. So he goes. He takes his wife, Sarai, who we learn at the end of chapter 11 can't conceive. He takes his nephew. He takes his possessions and their servants and they set out together for a new land. Why does God choose them? Why does God choose this 75-year-old man and his wife, this couple who are unable to have kids? When I was younger, I used to think about Jesus and wonder why he waited so long. Why did he wait until he was 30 before he started his public ministry? And then I got to 30 and I started wondering why he started so soon. So it's possible that, God willing, I get to 75 and I'll think, now's a great time to move to another country, but I think God has a point here. In choosing Abram and Sarah and choosing them when he does, God's doing something new, something unexpected. He's doing something impossible. God's plan is going to disrupt the course of human history, disrupt the, the trajectory that humanity is on. And so he's starting by disrupting this family, the course this family is on. He's going to bring life out of dry bones. You might say he's decided to use a jar of clay or a cardboard box. God is doing something unexpected, something new. In verses 1 to 3, God promises Abram a new land. He promises he will make Abram into a great nation. He promises Abram fame, his lasting legacy, and he promises blessing. He promises to bless Abram, to bring good for him, but not just to bless Abram. He'll bless anyone that blesses Abram, He'll curse anyone that curses Abram. He's going to be completely on Abram's side, whether or not it's justified. He's making Abram family. But then the promise of blessing gets even bigger. All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through Abram. And to Abram's credit, he believes God, and they set out. They travel up through Turkey and down through Syria and they make their way to northern Canaan, near the Mediterranean Sea, near the town of Shechem. And there, God confirms, they've arrived. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. And from here on, Abram commits to worshipping God. But Abram doesn't settle in Shechem. He appears to have fully embraced the lifestyle of a nomadic shepherd and they move to central Canaan and set up their tents there for a while, and then they head to southern Canaan and into the Negev desert. And so far, it's been relatively smooth sailing. God promised, Abram obeyed. But before long, a problem arises. From verse 10 Now there was famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. I just want us to be really clear about what's just happened. After God promises the land to Abram, at the first sign of difficulty, Abram leaves the land. There's no description of him stopping to pray. He doesn't cry out for help. He ignores God's plan and makes his own plan. That's where it goes wrong. I mean, it goes really wrong soon, but that's where it starts going wrong, when he trusts in his own strength and wisdom. He discards God's first promise. But leaving the land puts Abram in more danger. And again, he looks for his own solution, which just ends up compounding the initial sin. His beautiful wife is going to attract unwanted attention. So he convinces her to pretend to be his sister instead. Once they're in Egypt, Abram plays the role of a brother who can negotiate his sister's marriage. And he marries her off to Pharaoh in exchange for sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels and slaves. It's quite the bride price he exacts for his wife. The author of Genesis doesn't interrupt at this point to say, hey, this is bad. But with all the knowledge of God's law behind us, we're supposed to be disgusted by this sin. Abram prostitutes his wife for a tidy profit maybe we might want to defend Abram here or at least make excuses for him. What was he supposed to do? The danger sounds real. Maybe once he was in Egypt, he might have died. Except that God already told him that wasn't going to happen. But even still, setting God's promises aside, this is not an example for us. God's vision for marriage is one of mutual sacrifice, seeking to serve one another. Followers of Jesus are told by Paul that husbands are called to die for their wives. So always put her wants and needs first. A husband doesn't dominate or endanger his wife. He loves her. And Abram absolutely doesn't do that here. Now remember the God's promises to Abram. One, he promises him land. Two, a nation. Three, blessing. Well, in the, the very same chapter that he received these promises, we see him leave the land, give up his wife with whom he's supposed to start a nation. And now when Abram is supposed to be a blessing, we see him become a curse. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. The chapter ends with Abram having made a complete mess of it. Abram set out, following on from God's glorious promises, and he lands flat on his face at the first hurdle. Abram can't even bless his wife. How on earth will all peoples on earth be blessed through him? When the chapter ends, it's hard not to conclude that God will need a new plan but as we'll see again and again through Genesis, our mess cannot overcome God's grace. Our mess cannot overcome God's grace. You see, spoiler alert, one day, Abram and Sarai are going to have a son. And this son is going to get a wife, and he's going to do the exact same thing to her that Abram just did to Sarai. And then they will have their own couple of sons who also turn out to be selfish liars, and then one of these sons is going to have 12 more sons of his own who are just a complete murderous mess, and so on and so forth it goes through the generations. Until one day, there's another son. He will be a descendant of Abram, one of his promised offspring. But this son will not be like Abram. Where Abram was a curse, this son only ever blessed. When Abram made his own plan, this son trusted God's plan. When Abram risked others to save himself, this son risked himself to save others. Where Abram sinned, this son came to swallow up our sin. Where Abram squandered God's promises, in this son, all of God's promises are yes. This son, Jesus Christ, came so that all peoples on earth would be blessed. The peoples of the world are blessed as Jesus takes the punishment for their sin but also as he starts to work in their lives and slowly, slowly, slowly overcome the power of sin in their lives too. Our mess cannot overcome God's grace. His kindness exceeds our brokenness. His mercy is more than our mistakes. His son is stronger than our sin. Our mess cannot overcome God's grace. I don't know what state your family is in right now. I mean, we get pretty good at hiding things, right? I have no idea what state your heart is in right now. Maybe the idea of having your life story written down like Abram's is terrifying. I don't know what your secret struggles are, but I do know this our mess cannot overcome God's grace. Jesus took all our sin on himself when he died on a cross. He took the full punishment for our sin. He won you God's forgiveness. He wants to bless you by taking the punishment for your sin. So you don't need to fear God's judgment anymore. But Jesus also wants to bless you by working in your life to overcome the power of sin too. God doesn't just offer his grace so we can feel better about the mess or we can just stay in the mess. Part of God's grace is trying to help us out of the mess too. So if there are parts of your life that feel particularly messy, please, cry out for help. Whether there's mess in your marriage or in your parenting or in your relationship with your own parents or relationship with your siblings, whether the mess has nothing to do with anyone else but it's all to do with you, ask God to intervene. Ask him to do something new. I think God loves to answer that prayer. But crying out for help might need to involve more than just prayer. Sometimes we might pray about secret struggles, but nothing seems to ever change. And I wonder if that's because often the way God wants to answer our prayers is through the help of other believers. And that can be threatening. Sometimes in our pride or just in our fear, we might rather continue in the struggle than have others know about it. Like Abram, we'd rather find a solution at our own. But again, like Abram, we could do better than just relying on ourselves. Jesus died for us, not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we could be set free. So cry out for the help that you need. And remember, our mess cannot overcome God's grace. Lord God, help us to believe that. Free us from self-condemnation and guilt and shame that keeps us in silence that leaves us struggling on our own. Help us to cry out to you and put great people in our lives that are trustworthy and that trust Jesus, that we can share our struggles with so that we can start to find more of the freedom that Jesus offers us. In his name, for his glory we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon.
0: St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatt's.org.au, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.